Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. Quincy's always been known as a welcoming community, from the Mormons in the 1830s to the African Americans escaping slavery in the 1860s. Those who have come to Quincy have always been met with open arms. But what about the hobos? In our first episode of Season 4, we find out everything you've ever wanted to know about hobos in Quincy. That coming up next. Now, here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Welcome back to Season 4 of your favorite Still new podcast, Wild Quincy, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman here with you. Travis, welcome back to season four, buddy. It's been a while. Do we do we remember how to do this thing? <laughs> yeah, what do I do with my hands? You said that one time and <laughs> Put I them in I my pockets. That. <laughs> That's why I think nudists must must be very apprehensive because you never know you never have pockets, so I don't know what you do with your hands. So we're back for a full new season. We have a lot of guests lined up, a lot of uh, exciting episodes coming your way, and I'm really excited to be looking forward to the one we're going to be doing here in just a few minutes. But Travis, before we get uh, started on the fun that we have coming up here, let's get talking about a little bit, first of all, about our new Patreon members. That's right. Let's recap those, Chris. We had Amy Campbell, who joined us at the $8 Kelly Salad Bar level. And I feel kind of bad because Amy did it way back in like November, near the end of uh, Season 3, and it just missed the cutoff to thank her. So, so extra big thanks to Amy for holding out for the uh, the, the shout-out there. Then Crystal Huddock. Huddock? Huddock? Forgive my pronunciation, Crystal, but thank you very much nonetheless at the $5 Medium Just Special level. And just recently, Katie Fenn joined the party of Wild Things at the $5 Medium Just Special level. We thank all of those who have made the commitment to support Wild Quincy and keep the lights on. Yeah, a few episodes during the off season we had. Uh, we had some fun talking about uh, the episodes coming up this season. I tell yeah. you, Travis, I re-listened to our Christmas uh, special for yes. Patreon that we had. Yeah. I was laughing so hard at that. We um, have some fun. Yeah, it was a good episode. So uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll have a little tease of that coming up here in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, check that out. Of course, pretty much more than uh, half or more than double, I should say, of the episodes that are on here, you can find uh, episodes on Patreon as well. So it's like a whole nother podcast right at your fingertips at uh, patreon.com. So Travis, before we get into some other stuff, a few other things, some 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 cleaning, if you will. I don't think we pushed push this enough, but uh, the website. Guys, want to check out the website because uh, you know Travis. You never don't mention this, but you put a lot of stuff on there after we get done with the episodes. That uh, is some more information, right? Yeah, that's right. WildQuincy.com will get you there, and on most episodes that have you know things that are worth having visual context for, definitely including the the episode we're about to do here on Chris. Uh, there'll be a blog page with just a lot of comedia and different content that not only adds context, but just really kind of gets you closer to what, you know the story. So if you are in a hankering or want to go back and review any older stories from uh, previous seasons, it most likely has a blog page with a lot of pictures that you might find real interesting. So check that out. And you can also always get in touch with us at wildquincy at gmail.com. Or if you're of the texting or voicemail variety, we love to hear it. 
That's 612-669453, which is wild. If you wild. The, the old school. But, you know, you don't really have the numbers and oh, the letters gotta, on the phone. It's so fun. Anymore. It yeah, does? It, it is the, fun. Not on your I cell phone? I don't think so. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I got to yeah, look. I think they're on there still, buddy. Well, you got an Android probably. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm back 20 years, right? That's what you're married. That's is, probably right? a custom code you can turn on with the Android. It, it does yeah. have it. So there it you does go. Have Android. It. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, I won't I won't wrestle up the iPhone, but yeah, but get in touch with us. We love hearing what you have to say. Yeah, we're getting a lot more uh, text messages, which are great because I, I'm kind of like with you guys. I don't really like doing a lot of talking. I, I, my voicemail message literally says, I don't listen to this. Leave me a text message. <laughs> so that's my voicemail on my cell phone. So yeah, text us. Uh, it's cool to get some comments and get some feedback if there's something that uh, you enjoyed or you know something you're questioning or some idea maybe that you got for a future episode. You can hit us up on, on that uh, uh, that uh, text message. So, Travis, time to kick a new season off. Time for a brand new set of questions for the question of the day. Are you ready to start this off and get going on the right foot this season? The record's fresh and clean, and I'm ready for what you got. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, in what year did the last public hanging take place in Quincy? All right. Give you some dates. We got 1897. 1907, 1927, or 1947. So again, the question is this, in what year did the last public hanging take place in the great city of Quincy? We'll have the answer for that coming up for you at the end of this episode. But Travis, we're talking hobos. Hobos? Hobos it is. And don't get confused with other terms. We're going to straighten you out right after this break. what you missed on the latest after hours episode of wild quincy remember the old house on plainville blacktop we lived at when yeah. we were growing up i think i fed you a line one time that in my my no well maybe that too but <laughs> I, there, I think that we were you know playing and stuff and uh we were in my mom and dad's bedroom and i, I looked back in the closet and i was like hey man we gotta be careful because the underground railroad is oh, in I this closet <laughs> Yep, I remember that story. Yeah. Yeah, I was I had you fully convinced that it went down into the basement and then yeah, oh, there was absolutely. a room and all that. Yeah. I, I can quote that story exactly, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, I was I full totally of crap, buddy. That. I'm sorry. <laughs> Good story. Our after hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. Back here on Wild Quincy and Travis, I am adventuring into this new path with you. I'm excited to hear about what it all is because I really have no clue all I know is it has to do with people and symbols in these people called hobos. That is right, Chris. Hobos is the topic tonight. <laughs> to, to really get the full breadth of the hobo in our culture, we have to talk history because the whole hobo movement was a bit of a perfect storm of conditions in the world and at the time. So it all kind of goes back to 1862. 
Now, the Pacific Railroad Act tasked the Central Pacific Railroad and the Union Pacific to complete a railroad line across the United States. This was to be known as Transcontinental Railroad. However, the boiling tensions between the North and South would break out in civil war, as you know, on in uh, 1860. Actually, in 1861 is when that first brought out. So anything progress-wise on the railroad was kind of kicked down the road until the end of the war in 1865. So when Robert E. Lee surrendered his forces to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at the Appomattox Courthouse. That paved the road for the U.S. to get back on the task and get the Transcontinental Railroad put together. Now, right after the Civil War, Chris, it's kind of the first major instance of reports of people grabbing rides on the railroad to get home in some cases. Because what happened in the end of the Civil War, you had all these troops displaced throughout the country. And there really wasn't a clean-cut game plan for, okay, the war's over. Now, how do we get all these guys home? So the South never had a great rail system before the Civil War. It was really more the North that dominated. And people like Williams Tecumseh Sherman, who marched to the sea, really wiped out railroad. And in fact, railroads of the North were a big advantage for the whole Union Army for supply lines and everything else. So the people in the South were sometimes high and dry on getting back home. But it was possible in the North for people to jump on a freight train, a steam train, and get closer to their destination. So 1866, the Transcontinental Railroad picks up steam, no pun intended, and <laughs> And uh, before long, the Golden Spike was laid in, the, in uh, the Great Salt Lake area in Utah. So this laid the groundwork for the industrial boom in our country. And with this boom stepped forward an unexpected population of wanderers. Some looking for work as hotspots in the various hotspots of industry. And if you, what would happen is jobs would pop up. And sometimes as the industrial boom went, there would be sections of the country where more work was available and possible. But it only might last for a year, two years. And before like, you like knew a temporary it, worker. Exactly. Before you knew it, these people had to go find more work. And this, this wandering population would take to the railroads to get to their destinations. And it formed this brotherhood between them, which evolved into a strong you know, moral compass-driven uh, community, which would spread across the country. And we're going to talk terminology here, Chris, because if okay. there's anything I've learned through digging through all the hobo stories, all the local newspaper accounts, is it's very muddy on what a hobo is and isn't. Okay. So a hobo is this. A hobo is, is a migratory laborer. A migratory worker, he may take some longish holidays, but sooner or later they return to some kind of work or service to rely on the other, the kindness of strangers for food, lodging, etc. Now, that's the highest on the rung of kind of this migratory spirit. Next down on the list here is the tramp. The tramp is one who never works if he can if work can be avoided, and he simply just wants to travel. Not interested in working, just wants to travel. Free, okay. A freeloader, if you will. All right. And then the worst of the worst, Chris, is the bum. <laughs> the bum. The bum. You got They got You can't trust a bum, Chris. A bum is one who neither works nor travels. Save, uh, you know, say, say for instance, when he's inspired to move by forces like the police. So it's very important to keep that in mind. 
because the hobo themselves were a bit of an honorary brotherhood, sometimes given the nickname Knights of the Road. So we, hmm. we get into things here, and we start on, this is a mix of a national-wide occurrences that helped shape a lot of the hobo movement through time, as well as local interactions here in Quincy. So when I talked about the, knight, the knighthood, the knights of the road, I talked about an ethical code. And in 1889, and there's lots of tasty little nuggets in here, Chris, so feel free to, to, to raise your hand up here if you have <laughs> okay. a question, because I know I'm coming fast and loose here in this first section. An actual ethical code for hobos was unveiled by the Tourist Union Number 63 at their, at their 1899 National Hobo Convention in St. Louis. Break. Local. <laughs> That's right. Yes, the hobos, it was local, happened to be in St. Louis that year, as luck would have it. The hobos had their own union, Chris. <laughs> Did they have hey dues? They had hey carts. They were card-carrying <laughs> members. I, it sounds insane. Wow. But it was Tourist Union number 63. I believe there was also the name, the union, the Brotherhood of the the trans, the Migrant Worker. There were several names, maybe. But essentially, they, they made this union in an attempt to dodge the anti-vagrancy laws that existed in the late 1800s. So if you were able, if they were able to produce a card that oh no, we're working. We're we're this yeah. is our job is to go from town to town. And I guess they were very crafty. They they had solutions to all these problems they faced. They faced. And to answer your second question or your second kind of comment, they did have national yearly meetings in various cities. But wow. all, uh, just as a as a teaser, it still happens today. Even though some would question if hobo the hobo movement is even still around. In my opinion, this is the golden time of hobos. Anything today is more kind of a romanticized version of the hobo. But they still meet in Britt, Iowa. I believe the second weekend in August. So if you're in Britt, Iowa, in the second week August, the National Hobo Convention has a permanent home there, and you will see today's best offerings of hobos. I'm not going to try to make this sound, um, I don't know, politically incorrect, but is it kind of like a flower power kind of thing now? I'd feel like, I feel like that's kind of more the pathway of, of like, you know, peace and love kind of seventies. Yeah. You know, I, I've never been firsthand and I, I think, I think less than a kind of a hippie type sense. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of that. Um, but I think it's more people who fell in love with the idea of, of the, 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 the positive things of hobos in the past. Hmm. And we'll get to why I think that anything past like the 40s and 50s, while they might still consider themselves hobo, the the, the term kind of evolved, I think, with the, the new the new hobo, if you will, up into modern times. <laughs> okay. But let's get through this hobo, this ethical code real yeah. fast, because it kind of paints a picture of a lot of times you get the negative connotation of a hobo. You think it's just a bum. You think it's just somebody, you know, up to no good, right? Well, here's the ethical code that they were you know, established to live by. Number one, decide your own life. Don't let another person rule you. Number two, when in town, always respect the local law and officials. Try to be a gentleman at all times. Number three, don't take advantage of someone who is in a vulnerable situation, locals or other hobos. Number four, always try to find work, even if temporary, and always seek out jobs nobody wants. By doing so, you're not only helping a business along, but ensuring employment should you or other hobos return to that town again. Number five, when no employment is available, make your own work by using your added talents and crafts. We'll get into that a little bit later. 
Uh, number six, do not allow yourself to become stupid drunk and set a bad example for locals' treatments of other hobos. Number seven, when jungling in town, we'll get to that, respect handouts and do not wear them out. Other hobos coming along behind you may need them worse than you. Number eight, always respect nature. Do not leave garbage where you are camping or jungling. Number nine, if in a community jungle or campsite, always pitch in and help. There's a few more of these. Gets a little long, but we'll get through this. Uh, basically, try to stay clean and boil up whenever possible, Chris. Boil up. <laughs> okay. Any questions? Boil up? No, no, I get that. Yep, okay. good. Boil up. We'll talk about that. When traveling, ride your train respectively. Take no personal chances. Cause no problems with the operating crew or host railroad. Act like an extra crew member. Number 12, do not cause problems in the train yard. Other hobos coming along may need passage worse than you. Number 14, I thought this was interesting. Help all runaway children and try to induce them to return home. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, another one is do not allow hobos to molest children. Expose all molesters to authorities. They are the worst garbage to infest any society. A Hmm. few more here. Help any hobos any way you can whenever it's needed. And and if, if there's another hobo accused of a crime they didn't do, be quick to testify in support of that hobo. So there's this whole community. A couple of things of come code. to mind here. First of all, the, these are general good rules. There's some just general good Ethically rules to live by rules. in general. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so power to that. And then, you know, it brought up some questions. And I don't know if you're going to get to this later or not. But, you know, you talked about like they, they use the trains and stuff like that. And to, to be courteous to, to the people, the, the engineers yeah. and the conductors and all those people. I'm curious, are we going to get into the idea where were the engineers and the train conductors and all those guys friendly to the hobos? Uh, typically, no. Um, okay. You know, it, it was a, it, in some cases, I've read reports where train railroad companies knew it was an issue. They knew it was a problem. And in some cases, they would intentionally put like an extra unoccupied boxcar on the train with the hobos in mind. So really? what could happen? Wow. What could happen is uh, depend. It's a dangerous thing jumping on a train. So much can go wrong if you slip, land on the tracks. It's you're going to lose a toe, if not worse. Mm. Um, so it was dangerous. This there's a lot of romanticized, li- you know, tales about the life of a hobo, but it could be extremely dangerous, especially from a train aspect. Wow. So, but uh, from most accounts, what you hear is that you know the railroad companies did not want hobos. Uh, Hopping trains, they didn't want anybody hopping trains. They would often employ private police that the hobos would call uh, bulls, um, who would be pretty pretty rough and tumble against getting these people out of the railroad hmm. if they found them. You know, they'd, be, they'd beat them up a little bit. So let me ask, go back to so this code that, yeah. that's around. So let's just say that um, a hobo doesn't uh, follow the codes very well, or, or he, he gets caught out, caught out or called right. out for right. not following the codes. What's the process? Is, is there a process for that? Uh, hobo court. Wow. Really? Holy cow. Yeah, it, it's wow. a little shady. There's not a lot of documentation over the hobo court, but it was essentially what I took that as meaning is that other hobos, almost like a democratic society, would would you know either report this hobo to the you know the opposing person, or maybe they'd dole out some hobo justice. Maybe they'd ban him from the jungle. Maybe they'd exile him. Wow. Um, if you happen to be the hobo king, Chris, 
And yes, that was a thing. <laughs> there <laughs> okay. was a hobo king that was elected, I believe, at the National Convention. And I don't know what the term limits were. I know there was, a, I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, who, who was always in articles for a long time. And if, if he happened to be present, he would rule over as judge, jury, and executioner, so to speak. Hmm. But the, the likelihood of him being there was probably very slim, considering all the camps across the country. Huh. Wow. Yeah, there, there's, there's royalty in the hobo world. Yeah, there's a queen too, right? Yeah, there there was a hobo king, a queen. Right now, even still in the hobo of today, they elect hobo king and queen every year in Brit, Iowa. But it seemed like the term limits have uh, been cut pretty thin into a year, maybe now. Because um, back in the... Actually, the hobo king visited Quincy, uh, Chris. <laughs> So, really? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that down the road, maybe All in the right. Patreon episode. But let's jump. That's hobos from a wide, wide perspective of the country. You guys are asking the question, what about Quincy? This isn't wild hobos across the United States, right? <laughs> this is wild Quincy. Let's get to some Quincy stories. This one goes all the way back to 1894. We're talking early hobos, you know, right after the Civil War in the 18, oh, late 1860s, mid, you know, 60s. That's kind of when the hobos first started getting going in the in the okay. pop culture. So 1894. As we, as we remember, we've talked about Chris in various episodes, the idea of the Panic of 1893 came up a couple times which was basically kind of a mini depression where America suffered mass unemployment, collapsed agricultural markets. Um, There was a growing discontent in the public, and there was a demand that government in Washington put in place a federally funded works program to help get the country back on its feet. Now, obviously, this didn't happen this time around, but it would pave the way for the future, Chris. Uh, The government had no interest in doing this, as I said. Outraged, several groups, including uh, something called Kelly's Army, took it upon themselves to march to Washington and protest. Now, Charles T. Kelly was the leader of one of these groups, and it was formed in the San Francisco area where it departed. And they took advantage of the rail system, basically hoboing, maybe not considering themselves to be part of the hobo movement, but it was the only really way to get to where they wanted to go was to adapt to the lifestyle of the hobo to get there. And so this was heavily covered in in all the the news at the time. And so they took the railroad, took to the railroads, hoboing, so to speak, jumping on freight cars, and they made it all the way to Council Bluffs, Iowa, where the growing movement and the growing caution from railroad companies kind of hit the brakes on them being able to hobo on these carts. So they get to Iowa and they're kind of left stranded. Fortunately, they had access to the rivers. So all these guys, which could be up to 2,000 strong, uh, made rafts, and they, they came down through the Des Moines River and actually down into the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they, they headed south on the Mississippi, and they arrived on Goose Island. Do you know where Goose Island is, Chris? No. No, I don't. Well, you should. It's right across in, on the bay. It's what's called Quincipi Island now. Oh, okay. Back in this time frame, it was called Goose. It took me a little bit of research to figure out where Goose Island was, <laughs> but that is Quincipi Island for all us respective parts of this story. And when they got there, they were in rough shape. The party was about 12,000, str- or 1,200, not 12,000. That'd be a little much. <laughs> to sell sell 1,200, not, nothing to scoff Still at. Still a lot, yeah. Uh, you know, they were rough, and, and as Quincy usually does, they were very welcoming them, kind of enjoying what the movement represented in going to government and trying to demand answers and help in a mini depression that happened in 1893. So many Quincians flocked over to the island to visit the camp, 
And though though rugged at this point, all the members of the party seemed very polite and well-mannered and didn't really get into any drunkenness or general disorder. And, you know, there's a massive group of like 30 to 40 campfires around where people of Quincy would go over and talk to these people who would talk about the issues and the reason they're on this march to Washington. And they didn't even have tents, really. They were just kind of in blankets and kind of rough sleeping bags. So many prominent Quincyans donated food and supplies. Now, this Charles Kelly, the figurehead here, made a couple speeches in Quincy to much of an audience. And after some rest and relaxation, the party took to their rafts and actually fought, were towed. They had a little more mercy here in Quincy. They towed them down to Hannibal. Is that I guess hmm. maybe they were going to catch the Illinois River. I'm not exactly sure what their path was to Washington. But uh, at any rate, um, when they finally did get to Washington, I mean, they, they've been through the ringer to, from here to Washington. The party that once numbered in the thousands was only a couple hundred when they got there. Oh, wow. And the government didn't let up at all. So, so they basically accomplished nothing. This huge you know, march from San Francisco, uh, the government didn't budge. So it's a little depressing to think you, you, know, you make that stand yeah. and the wheels of Washington just didn't want didn't to play ball. But one person that was on the ride through the Council Bluffs to Quincy was a young hobo of the time that you might know as the author of The Call of the Wild in White Fang. I don't know if the name Jack London means anything to you, but he was a popular (laughs) American novelist who actually made several uh, accounts of his trip to Quincy on a collection of stories as well as the novel The Road. And basically... (laughs) He and everyone else in the party heard that for its size, Quincy was very, you know, pretty wealthy considering everything comparatively to its size. And so he was anxious to get over here and start panhandling. And (laughs) panhandling, it wasn't like pickpocketing or anything. It was kind of really using your creative storytelling to find some mercy, telling your worst hard luck stories to get some generosity. Um, And apparently he was very, very good at it. And uh, he got got here in a cutout canoe and went back to the island on a riverboat. So he was doing all right. (laughs) Um, In fact, later in life, he mentioned some regret. That he, the stories he, he told were so grandiose, he might have had a little remorse for how grandiose they were because he really made a killing. It sounds like. Can, can, wait a minute, can we can we put together the pieces then that says that it's Jack London, right? Is his name? Yeah, there's can, a link to the exact story where he talks about Quincy. Yeah, but but can we put pieces together that say it's Quincy that can take the credit for helping him write those books? Because he was here and made the money. I mean, Quincy's, <laughs> a, Quincy's a footnote. He, <laughs> I'm just saying we we need to take some credit here. That's what's what we, I'm well. We for. definitely we definitely gave him some much needed clothing, and so probably yeah. some new underpants. We gave Jack London the underpants he needed when he needed it most, Chris. <laughs> there you I go. We're talking about answering the call of the wild, if you know <laughs> what I mean. Um, <laughs> at any rate. 1905, the International Brotherhood of Welfare Association, it was called the IBWA, and the Industrial Workers of the World, the, the IWW, were societies that were established across the country just to help those who live by the hobo lifestyle. So 1905, this hoboing thing is well underway. They established a publication that was available at most newsstands called Hobo News. And it was a collection of, you know, hot spots around the country that were maybe more friendly to hobo issues about vagrancy, how to avoid, you know, opposition from the law and doing with it the lifestyle they mm-hmm. lived and just all kinds of hobo topics. 
there were uh, institutions and quote unquote hobo colleges that were formed and developed in various larger cities that would serve as a place for lodging, food, and general education. And you might be wondering what kind of education is on the tip of the hobo's, you know, knowledge base. And it would it would include things, um, you know, pretty 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 significant to their daily life. It could include things like industrial law, vagrancy laws, public speaking, you know, to help with the panhandling. Wow. And of, of course, Chris, you got to learn about those venereal diseases. Um, <laughs> You know, that's the things that are important, um, which yeah, would, which much, would, very much so. which would lead to the phrase boiling up. I mentioned that earlier, Chris. Yeah. Boiling up hobos. <laughs> hobos always brought with them one change of clothes, an extra change of clothes, because what they would do is to try to stay clean in the various hobo jungles or hobo camps. We're going to get into in a minute. They would keep a couple different pots running at all times. One was for cooking and one was for boiling your clothes. To kill huh. any lice or any kind of other ill, oh, yeah. Ill things that might be crawling around. Yeah. So it was pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty base level. But they were making an attempt. You know, they're making the attempt to stay clean. You know, and I can't imagine that those living the hobo lifestyle was super appealing to the lady folk. But I don't know. I mean, some people are into that. I guess. I don't hey, know. it was in the code. You I know, mean, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, they're doing what they can. You know. Yeah. God love them. Um, and there were hobo ladies too. Let's not leave out the boettes. That's what they were called. The boettes. The you know, hobos were often referred to as bows, just in daily passing, and so the okay. female hobos were called boettes most of the time. Hmm. So hobo jungles. I brought this up a few times. Yeah. They were essentially impromptu camps that the hobos loosely maintained. And there was usually a magic, uh, not not actual magic, but the where they popped up usually had a couple variables that were almost always the same. And these campsites would, would often pop up in areas that were A, near the railroad track, B, near a fresh water supply like a passing creek or spring, and C, somewhere that would have a little bit of a kind of a weed cover or brush cover so they could kind of be undetected kind of out of the the way of everyone and oftentimes these would pop up where there was an elevation change in the tracks chris because that meant a train would have to slow slightly making it safer to get on and off the train so quincy had a lot of hobo jungle jungles and i've spent a lot of time over the last two weeks really going through the newspapers, piecing together all these little clues. And while this may not be a conclusive list, these are the documented hobo jungles that existed in Quincy over the time. Cool. Bring it on, man. All right. What do we got? Number one, on the south bank of Curtis Creek near the Gardner Denver plant, or the Gardner Denver governor works at the time. So essentially, do you know where, uh, I think it's RJ Peters Drive is, that cuts through. Um, south Park? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would have been kind of behind the Gardner facility on that side, kind of to the east of that, or maybe in its place at the time. I don't believe that building was okay. there then. But that was kind of one hobo village because the train, as you know, kind of ran right there by Gardner, Denver. There was a train that ran down. Uh, the tracks have kind of been abandoned past Quincy um, now, but it used to run kind of through Fall Creek and down kind of through the okay. Illinois side. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, another one that gets a lot of play and a lot of talk is called Kelly's Jungle. And this one, I believe it was named after the Kelly that we referenced on Kelly's March there, where Jack London was a part of the group. Not 100% sure, but that's kind of where the the clues were pointing. And that took place in Riverview Park, 
pretty much at the foot of Second and Elm. If you if you know kind of where all the old railroad activity took place in Quincy, right there on the riverfront, kind of. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Riverview Park is just to the south. Oh, sorry, to the north of that, and there's lots of hills, and where McNay Trucking is now. Right. There was kind of a little bit of a holler or um, kind of a place that where hobos would camp. It was close to the city dump at the time. I think well, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be close to the uh, train uh, depot as well? Wasn't that? I mean, were we taught in the t- same time frame? Because yeah. that is where the location of was uh, maybe not train depot, like where the train like. You know yeah. what I'm talking Union Station, if you will, yeah, for, no, ab- for Quincy. Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was to the north of that. And the reason okay. is hobo camps were sm- they were smart. They 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 didn't want to be in the rail too close to the rail yard because if the idea was to get on and off of the train right after the train, you know, got out of the rail yard or went into the rail yard. It was going so slow. Position wise, yeah, yeah, that too, and then to avoid any kind of railroad bulls or p- private police officers gotcha. get get on and off before it actually gets there where hmm. they're going to get inspected. So hmm. that was a, a busy one. It was, it sounded to be pretty expansive from what I understand um, right there, kind of at the foot of Riverview. And there's lots of tales of hobo kind of panhandling in that area of Elm and Lind second to third and fourth on broad, even from Broadway that we'll get hmm. into on the Patreon side. Uh, the next one is the place called the hole, Chris, <laughs> Okay. And the hole is front and cedar. Now, are you visualizing where front and cedar is? Isn't that close to the boat club? It's a little bit north. Do you know the crazy okay. narrow railroad bridge you got to go under between the two parks? Where it comes out. Oh, kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is essentially, if you go up that hill, that's Cedar Street right there. Okay. And to your south is Riverview Park, and to your north is Sunset Park. Well,. All on both sides of that kind of nice little drive through the parks now in in the weeds and the trees was the hobo jungle called the hole. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it that whole his that whole place has some history, which we'll probably get into in a future episode. I went down a few wormholes on that. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, the hobo code was was very strict about keeping the place clean and and the jungles themselves would often they wouldn't take utensils they wouldn't take the the mirrors hanging in the trees for shaving that would just be permanent fixtures and the oh, next wow. hobos would utilize like the community aspect of that so huh. back in the day it wouldn't be uncommon to stumble through find a whole bunch of pots and pans cooking utensils uh maybe a hobo sleeping in the corner and some mirrors for shaving so hmm. very very strange community minded group now there's a few more uh, is yeah, right on the east side of 12th Street along Cedar Creek near, near the railroad bridge. That puts you basically where the veterans' home is. Okay, if you go underneath the, the railroad bridge wow. that has been vandalized with the word troopers, yeah, <laughs> um, immediately to the north, and then I believe Pinnacle Propane or something is right there behind there. You'll notice that's where uh Cedar Creek runs right there, oh, and you're yeah. right there by the railroad, you're right there in the trees. You're right there by the the creek. That one wow. didn't have a name that I could see, but was apparently pretty popular. We'll talk about some stories about uh, mm-hmm. uh, people who lived at the soldiers' home during Prohibition might have wandered down that way to have a drink or two, and we'll get into that. Uh, near near the Whitaker Brickyards, near Cal- north of Cavalry... Excuse I can't talk. North... Near the Whitaker Brickyards, north of Calvary Cemetery, this is roughly 18th and Locust area, right after okay. you go over the massive railroad bridge. 
you know where that massive railroad bridge kind of arches over before you get to the industrial park on your oh, right? Oh, yeah, yes. And yes. then Bob yep. Mace Park on the left. Well, yeah. Before you go over the bridge to the north, the, uh, to your west, right now it's just a big kind of place where the city has a lot of like asphalt chips and stuff, kind of a real mm-hmm. rugged place. Well, my understanding is that whole area, maybe it could have been to the west of that bridge area too, was uh, the Whitaker Brickyard. And what's interesting is... Uh, this was said to be one of the, the Ritz Carlton of the Hobo Jungle in its time here, Chris. <laughs> because the the brick factory had a lot of very lo- like very large kilns that they would use for brick making. But brick production stopped around August every year because it was getting co- cooler. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, it wasn't conducive anymore to making bricks. So it was a seasonal thing. So once they stopped making bricks, the hobos moved in. And they would basically use the kilns uh, as lodging, and they would also put up little rough shelves, but they were never destructive in the process. They were very, very conscientious of of how they were doing to not cause any harm. So I don't know for how long it worked for them, over how many years, but apparently it was some pretty sweet digs for a hobo over there (laughs) in that neck of the woods. Nice. Right. And just not mere blocks to your, uh, I guess it'd be to the east. There was yet another uh, hobo jungle that was located closer to 24th Street, more in the ballpark of like 21st. Um, it's interesting, as I was doing this research, somebody mentioned to me that there's actually, off the Cedar Creek Trail, a rather new, and I don't know how new, a specific signage honoring the hobos. Really? And I hadn't seen it. So this past week, I wandered down off, and there's a nice little parking to the trail on 18th, right off 18th in the industrial park area. And if you head to the east till about 21st Street, off the beaten path, they've got kind of a raised, elevated wooden uh, catwalk and a sign that's dedicated to what used to be the hobo camp there. Uh, wow. Which, which honestly, I don't know if it was exactly there, but maybe it just worked out for where they wanted to put this thing. It might have uh-huh. been a little closer to 24th, or maybe the 18th and 24th camp were the same kind of gray area. But at anything, yeah. at any rate, it's a nice sign, and you can actually continue to walk out to where they have another sign for the spring area that would indicate why the hobo camp would be so appealing because of the freshwater spring that was right there. Any chance you remember who actually did the signage? Uh, Quincy Park District in in uh, oh. in, in uh, I'm sure in cahoots with the historical society. So That's great. I was shocked to see that you know someone else had had left a little bit of honoring to these the migrant worker yeah. that helped in the 1930s and 40s. So check that out. Hmm. Uh, a few more. I know we're kind of going a little long here on some of this stuff, but uh, there was also uh, near Gardner Park. Um, there was also a spring. That would basically be if Locust Street continued to the where the riverfront is, the front street, it would kind of be down there. So there was a okay. big conglomerate, Cedar Creek and Curtis Creek. Obviously, like I said, the, the fresh water supply was a big pull. And there was probably a lot more hobo camps that would pop up and come about outside of city limits and maybe even on, on Quincy Island as we know it today. But these hotspots also created a, a foothold for going through neighborhoods and begging for food, doing some panhandling, everything else. So one, once you're in hobo camp, you need to eat, Chris. And if, yeah. you're, if you're a hobo, what do you think's on the menu? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, definitely not getting very many steaks, I would assume. Probably not. But you know what yeah. you are getting? Cl- world-class mulligan stew. 
Mulligan stew. Mulligan, what is that? This <laughs> is a staple of the hobo culinary experience, Chris. This is a type of community stew that is made from various ingredients, whatever the group could muster together, essentially. Mm. Now, the hobos would work together on this, and it would be a group process. So I hope you had a good a good team of hobos on your team when you were going down. Because <laughs> according to this, one hobo needed to build the fire and rustle up a can to do the cooking in. Yet another hobo who was had to go find some meat. And in some cases, this super great ethical code of hobos might have gone into the gray area a little bit, and somebody might have stole a chicken or two. <laughs> um, so, so like I said, maybe some gray area in the hobo code. Another one was in charge of finding potatoes or other ingredients for this stew. One had to go find some bread somehow, do what he had to do. Another one was out looking for some seasoning, some onions, you know, just helping generally get a nice cooking together. So everything's thrown together in the community pot, boiled till done. And if they if they could make a little if they get a little java in the process, get a little coffee, they get some oyster cans, and they'd uh, they'd boil that up, make some makeshift coffee. And apparently, some hobos, especially those in the California origin, would uh, throw in a snipe with the coffee. Chris, you know what a snipe is? Snipes aren't real. Well, not that kind of snipe. Okay. These are most definitely these are the butt ends of a cigarette, Chris. Oh, that's what? right. Throw, you know what? You, you cringe, but think about that lovely golden brown that, that that used cigarette really brings to the cup of coffee. So you give that delicate amber color <laughs> to, the, to your coffee. And oh, uh, yeah, so a little little uh, little spit coffee. A lot of, a lot of, get, a lot of hobos carry around snipes Oops. to do a little chewing on, maybe light up, finish what was going around. If you couldn't find any meat, you were uh, called it beggar stew, apparently. Hmm. Now, we talked about what you're eating, but let's not screw around the topic. A lot of hobos, you know, it wasn't, it was against the code to get stupid drunk, but there was a lot of drinking going on. But what's interesting is a lot of the time frame found this in Prohibition. So in the middle of Prohibition, what's a hobo going to do to get some drinks? Yeah, it's got a lot harder, harder now. Not if you knew where to look, Chris. Mm. You see, throughout Prohibition and the Great Depression, there was a popular process along hobo jungles. Popular and extremely dangerous. Oh, no. There was a product. It's still around, I believe, and it's called Sterno. And Sterno is a jelly denatured alcohol that's in a can. And the purpose... The pur- intended purpose for this product is to use in, like, the catering industry to heat serving trays, basically, oh, underneath. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would serve as a fuel source. Yeah, I used to use those. Yeah. Well, the, the, in, the ingenuity, the, the, the crafty hobo thought, you know what? Even though that there are potentially poisonous ingredients in this jellied substance, if we were to find some cheesecloth... Or a run-of-the-mill sock. What we could do is put the whole conglomerate into the cheesecloth or sock and squeeze it out and wring out all the alcohol goodness and mix it with some juice or some soda. And, Chris, get get what you need. You've heard the term (laughs) jungle juice before? Yeah. This is where it came from. Oh, my. Uh, It's better than the other (laughs) name, sock wine, which, although it sounds delicious. (laughs) It's like toilet wine in the prison. Jungle juice might have a little bit better ring to it. (laughs) So this was obviously a huge practice. A lot of times there'd be a lot of canned heat cans laying around after this. Um, I mentioned in the Hobo Code, if you couldn't find work, it was important to 
rely on your craftsman talent. And Chris, oh, I, I, I would invite you and any listeners who are capable of doing so right now to bust open your internet browser and throw in the phrase hobo nickels or hobo coins. And what you will find is a lovely depiction. What was popular in this time frame, especially between 1913 and 1940, was uh, buffalo nickels and other small currency coins. And as a craft, a hobo would essentially use a knife or some kind of sharp object to modify. In most, and a lot of times, it was a, it was a, it was a nickel and a buffalo nickel. One side oh. contained a. a, a a Native American head. The other reverse side was a buffalo. And there'd be all kinds of forms of modification they would do to the, the Native American head, sometimes making it into looking like a hobo, sometimes into a skull, sometimes into all kinds of different conglomerations. And you'd think that's where the fun would stop. But a lot of times, some, in some instances, they would modify the side with the buffalo. And there's a famous, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, called the 1921 potty coin, Chris, that <laughs> they've, they've crudely modified the buffalo to appear as a hunchbacked hobo sitting on a toilet, and <laughs> which sounds insane, but it, actually you can see it if you Google it. It's a 1921 potty coin, hobo coin should get you there. And they would sell these. And at first glance, you might think, okay, maybe maybe this is some kind of breaking the law. Have you found it? Did you find yeah, the potty coin? I just found it. What do you think? Pretty good, right? Looks like <laughs> a hobo on the toilet. Yep. Who would have known a buffalo turning into a hobo on a toilet? Oh, man. Um, I, this is the kind of stuff I love. You, know, you just can't make yeah. this up. It's so good. Um, and it, it, this wasn't actually uh, considered a crime because they weren't passing off these altered coins as monetary value, they would oh. sell them or trade them. And so since it was considered a craft, they weren't actually doing any crime technically. I mean, I'm sure I there thought, was some great. Isn't defacing there. money a I crime? I thought so too, but apparently, I mean, I think honestly, huh. if you get a, a, somebody at the law, I mean, any any kind of like, any police officer that's human who's going to try and like bust these guys has to, take one, has to take one look at a potty coin and try not to bust out <laughs> And how are yeah. you going to come down on the guys that made this potty nickel? Yeah, I mean, exactly. they, turned a, they turned a buffalo into a hobo in a pot. That's incredible. Yeah, that's impressive. You got to let that go. You got to let yep. him walk. Yep. All right. Hobo hieroglyphics, <laughs> hobo symbols. Yeah. This was a system of hastily scrawled symbols that only the initiated hobos should be able to understand. And these symbols were kind of like hieroglyphics. They were very crude, and they were often put on fences or outbuildings or common areas where a hobo might come across. And it was a bit of a secret language that had a meaning behind of it. Uh, oftentimes, a lump of coal, chalk, a nail, or even a sharpened rock would be used to kind of scrawl these symbols. And it was meant to be a bit of a survival code. These strange symbols were allegedly the way that hobos passed information on to other hobos that would be following or around. And they would they had a, a, a kind of a, a master schedule or master list of what these all meant. So there would be tags that would indicate where good places to camp were, who would show kindness if there was perhaps maybe an, an old woman who would uh, often feed the hobos. There'd be certain marks to indicate this, perhaps somewhere obscured on her front gate or on a fence or on a tree near her house. And other hobos would utilize this system of symbols to kind of help navigate and make the path a little easier. 
unless it wasn't because there's a lot of controversy whether these symbols were actual uh actually existed and the and the more i learn about it and even from a local level i think it might have been authentic to some degree there are people hmm. in the quincy area that reference their parents seeing these symbols near their houses who actually were kind to the hobos however another way of of communication that the hobos did use and this is documented 100% is that they would often use the wooden frames uh, that steam engines would use for the water. A lot of times these steam engine trains would have to stop a, a lot to obtain more water to create the steam in the engine. And so there'd be massive water tanks along the railroad with wooden structures kind of supporting them. And sure. a lot of time a hobo would kind of come up with a moniker or a hobo name that he would use. And it's almost a log of where he's been and where he's going. He would often carve his, his moniker or initials, he would say the, the year and the date, maybe the month and the year, and then put a W or an N or an E or an S indicating which direction he was traveling. Oh. So it was almost like a hobo directory at the time. Hmm. That was absolutely verified. The hobo symbols, there's a little dispute. I'm going to go with they're real because, damn it, it's too yeah. good of a story not to. And it's important with our interactive session that's coming up soon. You'll see. Well, uh, yeah, and from what you've told me and showed me already, it seems like it's so intricate that it would be it would seem it would seem it would seem impossible that it was all made up. It, it seems like there's a lot of thought process put into it. There's a lot of structure in it, and yeah, and I, I guess the, you kind of answered my question. I was going to ask about that. Was that it does. Was there ever any pictures or anything like that of any sort of symbols in the Quincy area that you ever came across or with your research at all? I'm guessing not, huh? Uh, the problem was they were used, they were utilized in such kind of crude manners that it wouldn't have stood the test of time. Most most likely it would be with a piece of chalk or on a tree oh. or on a fence post that would probably rot away. However, yeah. if you go to Riverview Park, Chris, I just happened to be there today, the the kind of the stone uh, fence that's put up on the overview, that's from the Works Progress Administration. Okay. And the surface of that is, is smooth stone that has had years of carving, Chris. Hmm. I mean, there's dates on there from the 40s. I wow. suspect that there is definitely some kind of artifacts there from the time of the hobos. My understanding is that that's very old. Hmm. And okay. it is littered with uh, with carvings. I mean, some of it's modern, obviously, but right. there's there's. I saw a date for the 1940s on there. Wow. So I don't know. There may be some artifacts that still exist. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's somewhere yeah. else. I'd love to hear and, anybody who knows. First and who hand. knows how big the the town is in general? That you know, who knows? There could be some that have been lingering that nobody really even knows that they're they're hobo signals or hobo symbols, and they've been there for yeah. however many hundreds of, or not hundreds, but tens of years at least. Well, I'd love to get a really close look at the railroad bridge that on Cedar Street, where the real mm. narrow one. Under yep. there and directly to the south is a bit of a, a a cut through for the creek. And who knows what's in the stone there? Mm -hmm. I don't. I suspect there may be something there. And you actually brought up something I kind of wanted to go back to real quick was the with the jungles, with the hobo jungles. Was I wonder if there's still areas where maybe there would still be remnants of stuff like of, of pots or, or things like in these areas that are, are hasn't been really because it sounds like a couple of these areas are still in the wooded areas. So is it possible there could be some remnants still in those areas? Uh, it's possible. Anything, I mean, honestly, I'd love to get some metal detectors in there. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I think you'd definitely find things. There have been some studies on people doing excavations of hobo jungles 
jungles and other areas. And, you know, there's nothing crazy fancy, but there, there is evidence of their presence. Hmm. Um, cool. I mean, who? I'd love to find a 1921 potty coin. Heck yeah, man, that's <laughs> awesome. Who knows how much that's worth? But you know, that would be I awesome just to have. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, who knows. I, yeah. I doubt there's a whole lot at face value these days. But you know, you never know what might be hanging. Maybe a, a mirror hanging from a tree somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Hard yeah. to say. Yeah, very cool. So well, talk. Let's talk about, about symbols. What do we got? This is a symbol thing. Okay, this is the intermission game, Chris. Okay. You, we haven't prepared for this. You don't know what's coming. No, I have no idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hold up symbols to the webcam here for Chris, and he um, he's going to do his best to describe what he's looking at and guess the meaning. Are okay. you ready, Chris? Sure. All right. All right. Symbol. So what do we got first? Number one. Describe what so you're it, looking at here. It, it looks like a it looks like a Lincoln top hat. It's got a line at the bottom and it's got a square. Very crude top, kind of rectangle. square with a long yeah. line at the bottom. What do you exactly. think it means, Chris? What do you think it means? Uh, place to stay. No, no, no. I can see where you think that. It actually means a kind gentleman lives here, Chris. Oh, how was I supposed to know that? Mm, come on, <laughs> harness your inner hobo. Okay. Sign number um, two. This one's got a circle with an arrow pointing to the left. It's important to note the line of the, the arrow goes completely through the circle. Uh, past this place? Uh, in a way, yes. Uh, th- it means mm. there's no point in going this way. Ah, so pa- okay. So that, I'll, give you, I'll give you half on that. That's okay, good. all right. Ready for the I next like one? It. Okay. Sure, let's do it again. All right. We have... An upside down U that's got like a looks like a box. It's like an unfinished square where the top line yeah. hasn't been drawn. What do you think it means? Oh man, what was the other one? That one was uh, this place is friendly or something. So yeah. uh, uh, I, I have no idea. Let's go with something like this lady's friendly. I don't no, know. No, no. Unfortunately, that's not not at all right. Uh, <laughs> this is you can camp here. <laughs> okay, you can it camp just here. Looks like a U. Yeah, we'll we'll say well, that. Obviously, it means you is can camp here. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. This one's a tough one, Chris. Oh boy. Describe what you're looking um, at here. Uh, it is. Looks like a. Looks like a couple. Of, it's a square, a rectangle. It looks like it's got knuckles inside of it. It's got it, like if you, three if you, bumps. If you kind of made a lowercase m, but it stopped one Add bump too one. late. That's what yeah. it looks like. Uh, Any thoughts? Ooh. Um. Like. Um. I don't think you're gonna get this one. Multiple. Some. Um. Uh. uh be aware of dogs. I don't know. Oh my God! How did you know that, Chris? <laughs> was that, was this that me- right? this means vicious dog lives what? here. Oh. That was such a reach. How'd you get that? That's amazing. I, just, I knew there was one that was about that. I just had no oh, idea. That's that impressive, was Chris. <laughs> All right, what do we got here? Uh, that's a duck. That's right. Uh, chickens here? No, no. Ooh. Okay. Now hmm. I have no idea why it means what it means, but the meaning of this duck-like figure. It's free telephone to use. Oh, my gosh. So, you yeah. know, ducks, telephones, I get it. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, totally. Chris, here we go. Oh, oh, let me get it in frame. Here. So it looks like a person. Uh, it's got like a dress on it, and then it's got a bunch of triangles, like four triangles yes. behind it. One's a bigger one and the three smaller ones. I would is? say this has something to do with something. You're on the right with- path. <laughs> with multiple people, with uh, with a lady. Yes. Yeah, something with the lady, something like uh, she's willing to give stuff to you or something. It says, it, the meaning, you're close, you're close. It says, kind woman lives here. Tell a pitiful story to gain food. Oh, wow. <laughs> to gain food, I added on, but I'm guessing that's what they were going for. Okay. All right. Here's the next one, Chris. Uh, three lines uh, kind of like, going. Looks like Wolverine just tacked. There's three. Yeah, cl- yeah. Looks like, it's like claw marks. Oh, my gosh. Um, Angled. 
Uh, yeah, angled. Uh, it's the mark of the devil. I don't, I don't know on that one. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That would fit the definition, I think. Yeah. Uh, bad play. Bad person lives here. Close. You know what it is? This is not a safe place. Oh, okay, okay. That's Makes right. sense. You're, I'm, mark of the you're devil. Sensing bad. your hobo. You're getting better. Yeah. Right, last one. This one's double okay. or nothing, Chris. All right. What do we got? Oh, For all on. the cookies. All right, um, there we go. It, it looks like a it looks like an arrowhead with just a single point on it. Um, some kind of yeah, mm, some kind of arrow. Yeah, it's got a, like it's got a, a triangle. It's kind something. of a diamond shaped. Yeah, like it looks a like a spear. Uh, let's say something with something with meat, something with food. No, that's a good guess, uh, but actually it means be ready to defend yourself. Oh, that makes sense. That's okay, right. so you're, yeah. you're you're feeling it now that we've we've warmed up the hobo, the inner hobo with the inner him. hobo. <laughs> I need you to to tell me the meaning behind these hobo terms. Okay, the first one is California blanket. What does it mean, Chris? Um, something like warm weather. No, no, unfortunately not. It means newspapers intended to be used for bedding. Oh, geez. Okay. Next up here is <laughs> what does it mean, Chris? To Chuck a dummy. Chuck a dummy. Something to do with carrying a, a drunk person? No, it means pretending to faint. Oh, so say you're in trouble or there's a bad situation, you just chuck a dummy and you're fine. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, Chris. What are spare biscuits? Uh, I mean, it sounds like it would just be food, but it's um, spare biscuits, like... Like tires? I don't no, know. No, looking for food in a garbage can, obviously. Oh, okay, I was close for the other way. What are your glad rags, Chris? Glad rags? Glad rags. Uh, rags to help you clean yourself off? Mm, no, definitely not. Far from Ooh. it. In fact, glad rags means your best clothes. Uh. Put on your glad rags and go see the sky pilot, which <laughs> is, you, Chris? Use your potty nickel. No, who's the uh, sky pilot? God? I don't know. Yes, uh, a preacher or minister is a uh, sky pilot. Okay. All right, la- last one, last one. What does it mean if you're riding possum belly? Ooh, I've heard that one. Um, riding possum belly. Uh, that means that you're taking from somebody, that you're taking stuff from somebody. Good guess, but no. It's actually how you would ride on the passenger car with, with your stomach on the top laying down to avoid being blown off the train. So if you're riding oh. possum b- belly, you're laying down on the top of, a, of the train. So, uh, Travis, I can pretty much assume from what we just did that I am not a good candidate to be a hobo. You know, you're between you're between you're better than a bum. I think you're still in the tramp. <laughs> but with a little bit of hobo code and dialect, I think I you're going to make it up. to full fledged hobo. We'll have, <laughs> right. we'll have your union card ready for you soon. Thank you. All right. Oh, I man. know we're running long here, but I got a few stories I want to tell on on, right. on the local front here. 1926. We'll find here that the, the, the majority, I'm going to speak at an overview, kind of high level. The majority of stories that took place in Quincy about hobos as we know it happened in the late 20s and the 30s. That seemed to be when there was a lot of heavy hobos in the area. Um, there were some reports uh, that the 1920s, what do you imagine a hobo looks like, Chris? Like visually oh. give me what your impression of a hobo. I don't know, scruffly beard, right. uh, raggy hat. clothes. Yeah, he's yeah, got a got a hole in his hat, kind of stuff. Yeah. While this might be true for hobos of like the early 1900s, by 1926, most hobos coming through the city were actually pretty clean cut. You couldn't really discern them from a factory worker because they found that that actually 
bringing, you know, shaving regularly, wearing pretty nice clothes, clean clothes, that they had a better shot at getting a job. Um, at one at one point, somebody actually uh, questioned, you know, why why would why would you change your appearance to a hobo? And they said we we found it pays to be polite. The lady of the house seldom mistrusts the police the the polite hobo so basically they do it to help with the kindness of strangers it's a hmm. uh, it's far it's not often that a hobo that is polite and well you know clean is going to get turned away from you know when they ask a lady for breakfast in the morning in the, in the back door so you know it's interesting that uh, this whole conception we have of the bearded kind of patchy hobo may have existed early on but by the 1920s at least in the area didn't seem to be the case anymore hmm uh, 1927 showed that a lot of hobos were active in the area. Where do you think you would go as a hobo in the middle of winter if you're riding the rails? You need a place to stay. Where are you going to go? You I gonna, mean, you going to sleep in the jungle? Uh, no. Well, I would go to the foundry um, where they made the bricks at because that was a nice right. warm place. Yeah, but you think? I mean, the Ritz only that, has so south. many rooms, Chris. No, yeah. what would happen, and this wasn't just Quincy, but this was definitely a, a, a practiced heavily in Quincy. Uh, hobos would go to the city jail and they would go to the jail and politely ask to stay in any unused cell or place most of the time the police would very honestly like let them have let them have it for the night and they'd leave in the morning and they'd be on their way Hmm. so the the actual cells the unused cells even the courthouses sometimes they'd utilize the benches there so in 1928, there was a lot of there were some boisterous, acti- boisterous activities in the hole, which was the uh, Cedar Creek little par- pass through in the park. There, a couple officers of the law had to uh, come down and uh, shake things up a little bit. They found that the hobos were just in the middle of making dinner, making pork steaks, bread, and potatoes. So they had to they had to bring them in because of the reports. But they showed a little kindness. They let them wrap their meal in in paper and bring it with them to eat on the hmm. road. So it's interesting because you see these little platitudes of gratitudes and and in uh, kindness shown to the hobos, not only from the citizens who would often you know feed them, but to the police who would give them lodging and maybe yeah. you know bend the rules a little bit. Right. Um, there was some bad run-ins, which I'm I'm going to say that it wasn't actually a hobo. I'm going to say it was a tramp or a bum. A man and his wife were violently attacked in Riverview Park in 1929. They were in a, going through a little bit of a rough spot. They'd been separated for 10 days, and they decided to meet up and kind of make men's there on the overview, the lookout in Riverview Park. When all of a sudden, out of their peripheral, this crazy guy comes after him with a knife, and the three kind of get into a tussle. Hmm. And there's a few. They, he gets a few cuts in, but the couple are able to get away, and they run away from their assailant. Well, the police go down there. And what do they find but a friendly gray-haired hobo who saw the whole darn thing and was happily gave them his account. And uh, I don't think they ever caught the bad guy. But I love the fact that the hobo's there to kind of save the day and va- validate the claims that he saw. Um, the dust, dust years were 1930s to 1940s, the Dust Bowl, that only added to the people out on the road. Um, through the 30s, there's a lot of reports of the sentiment of the hobo kind of going a little south and i think honestly i think it's more the people that really aren't true hobos but are just kind of vagrants imposters and trouble yeah i mean they, they might claim themselves as hobo i think the term hobo gets thrown around super loose there's a lot of things of, of police having to get called because the panhandling and begging is super aggressive um you know there's a few cases where the soldiers and sailors home occupants during the great depression and also 
the out the uh the prohibition movement they actually snuck into hobo camps to get drunk with them and mm. the hobos would pack up and leave and the the guys would pass out in the middle and this was you know they the hobos oh, no. would go find a room in jail and in one case one of them died down i believe mm. in the hole when the campfire went out and he passed out in the cold and he died there mm. Another one right in the 12th Street jungle almost died when the same thing happened. Luckily, someone heard him yelling for help at like four in the morning. So there was there was definitely a lot of sentiment. In 1930s, the police are cracking down a little bit on people that are claiming to be hobos and maybe authentic hobos. Instead of letting them have an empty cot in the jail cells or letting them sleep on the benches in the courtroom, they were confined to like the holding area. It had a concrete floor because they were worried about the general health of, you know, health conditions and they thought the general public might you know who was either in prison or in the courtrooms might be compromised so they could sanitize the concrete floors a lot easier Hmm. so in the late the 30s there's lots of reports of different things happening with the hobos and more of a more of a trend of less and less hobos until you get to the 50s and 60s where it's pretty much nothing anymore so I'm kind of I'm kind of summarizing things. We can circle back on some of these stories and details in the, the the Patreon episode. But from a high level, Chris, what what do you think? Hobos and Quincy? Wow, just opened up a whole new pathway. A whole you know when we started a few years ago talking about stuff like this, it was more about gypsies and stuff like that. And and I you know now to have an understanding of the variations and not only that, but I mean how many people really understand that there was tramps and hobos and, and bums and knowing that there was actually a difference. I mean I, I definitely didn't yeah. know that before coming into this so that's that's pretty crazy that yeah. there, there, there was those definitions and in the 40s the end of the hobos really was a culmination of when the local engines in i believe it was uh 1959 the last steam-powered locomotive was switched to diesel on the cb and q lines and uh, with mm-hmm. a lot of the other railroad lines and these these trains went a lot faster the diesel trains Plus, they didn't need to stop as often as, you know, steam engines might have to stop every seven to ten miles when they first started for water or for different purposes, Mm -hmm. where there were so much more opportunities for people to get on and off safer. But with less stops and faster speeds and more danger, not to mention a post-World War II booming economy, the Depression was over, people were finding actual work, jobs, this whole hobo lifestyle kind of worked itself out. Um, and you know, by the fifties and you know, the forties and fifties, a lot of people that were doing the hobo thing put down roots. And in my opinion, that kind of, you want to call it a golden years of the hobos had kind of gone the way of the dodo. So in today's world, is it more ceremonial? Is it more of just keeping the tradition than so? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I think people are still riding the rails and I'm, it's, I mean, you know, I think in their own way, it's almost like hobo 2.0, you know, it's, it's a new take on the romanticized view where, you know, there were some cases where a, an old hobo turned himself into local law enforcement because he was he thought he was going to Kansas City, got on the wrong train and was just trying to get home, wanted to get wanted to get arrested just to get off the hobo lifestyle for violating parole. Hmm. The local police actually took mercy on him, didn't arrest him, but actually arranged for someone to take him back to Kansas City. It was going that way. So it was, you know, it had its its kind of romanticized views, but it was a hard life, Chris. Yeah. And I think people today are just kind of, they're not looking for work. They're looking for the lifestyle and for that kind of restless spirit that's out there. Well, and if you are curious, as I told Travis before we started this, there is a wiki how on how to become a hobo. Uh, wouldn't so recommend if you're curious, it. <laughs> wouldn't recommend <laughs> check it. Check it out. <laughs> Read the stories of the past. There's lots of books, uh, lots of fun, 
hobo written accounts of life on the road that you can check out. But yeah, you know, if, if you got if you got the hankering, go check out Brit Iowa second week of second week of August. Get a taste for what these modern hobos lifestyles are looking like. Maybe it's your thing. Maybe it's not. Figure it out for yourself. Who am I to tell yeah. you what to do? <laughs> well, you told us a lot already with hobos, and uh, that is a look at hobos in Quincy. We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> County Market has juicy prices this week on the meat you want for your family. It's our value pack meat sale, so fill your freezer. Fresh, whole pork butt roast is just 88 cents a pound, and chicken leg quarters are priced at a low 49 cents a pound. Be sure to pick up semi-boneless ribeye steaks, just $4.99 a pound. Boneless bottom round steaks are a deal at $1.99 a pound. Stop in at County Market for more low prices on tender, fresh value pack meat. Add some flavor to your recipes with yellow onions. A three-pound bag is just 89 cents. Put a smile on your family's face when you buy Pillsbury cake mixes, two for a dollar. And spoil them a little while you save on Pillsbury cinnamon or Danish rolls, just 95 cents. Poppin' fresh good. Save every day at County Market, conveniently located near you. Maximum savings every day. County Market and the Max Card. Travis, we get to get back into season four with some more of the classic throwback ads. And this one probably hits close to home for you because you work there. That's right. That was a that was a Max Card Avenger, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. No, I didn't I didn't run I was on the front lights in the bagging world and then I moved to the back the back end stocking. And uh, yeah. yeah, lots of high school and call early college was spent on twenty fourth and spring. 24th and spring of course what three county markets in quincy at one point in time is that right is there still three county markets in quincy no there's just two uh there's two county markets and i believe i think the two other uh, shop and saves are not is it shop and save what are the other ones i don't even remember yeah something like that yeah there's yeah, one down yeah. only 12th and yeah but uh yeah max card been around for what 20 plus years because this ad going back into the 2000s they were the first frame. ones to really have that like loyalty card yeah. that i can remember so i think they were ahead of the curve at least locally on there and now we have wallets and wallets full of those things yeah what now here's a question for you chris who's got the better jingle between grocery stores the max card jingle or the shop high v friendly smile in every eye where you come down they're both so good they're both so good i mean the one that stuck with me because i had you listen to this uh, before we got going and and like I listened just the beginning of her singing and I, it stuck with me for like the last hour. So I don't know. I think they're both, they're both heck of a jingle. And I think we talked about that before uh, last season is like, man, if you're going to go into do radio advertising, man, spend the money on getting a jingle because Holy cow, that sticks in your head for years to come. Absolutely. They're both, they're both uh, just bangers. Yeah. yeah. So County Markets, uh, that was actually done. It was a WGEM, actually Jim Country 105 uh, commercial back in, uh, I believe, in like summer of 2000. I was actually 
was doing, I was in studio and uh, might remember a guy named Bo Hicks. He was doing oh, a remote sure. at uh, the Berry Apple Festival. So I recorded the segments. Um, you guys will never hear that because I sound horrible. Um, <laughs> it sounds worse than 91.1 The Rock days. <laughs> oh, that can't be possible, Chris. That was rough. The, uh, the made up radio station recorded when we were in. Not even high school, you know. Yeah, like fourth yeah. grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, so uh, yeah, it was really, really sad. That'll never see the light of day. Uh, but uh, speaking of something that will see the light of day, I think it's time to bring in the golden pipes. And now it's time for words of wisdom from Adams County. All right, Travis, are you ready? I'm excited. It's been so long since we've talked to the forefathers and foremothers. I've been just stupid with lack of information since we last recorded our episode chris please enlighten me with the wisdom of our forefathers uh yeah so as you know we uh dig into this book called the folklore from adams county illinois it's by a name by uh, a guy by the name of harry middleton hyatt he put together an amazing book uh of all this wisdom uh, from the uh, forefathers and foremothers i'm still waiting to get that shirt by the way travis of 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 our forefathers and foremothers um, hopefully we get oh, that. Oh yeah, on. I forgot I was going yeah, to supposed to do that. Uh, that's okay. Uh, I might make a note. <laughs> that we got to do the the wear wear pig too. We got uh, the wear pig still uh, too. That might be a non-starter. We'll uh, come on. Uh, anyway, so uh, recently we uh, reached out on our Facebook community and you can join our Facebook page to keep up to date what's going on, but we asked for some more numbers. And thank you guys so much for the turnout because we had Great an response. amazing uh, right, amazing turnout, an amazing response. Uh, more than we've ever gotten in any of those times we've asked so we have plenty of numbers to go around uh, for quite a while but travis i was digging around in some of the different numbers and i see some patreon members maybe your mother posting a number um mm-hmm. and and some other people so i want to point out a couple things real quick jordan losher who is a longtime patreon uh, supporter rockstar he, supporter yeah. yes he uh chose 7090 remember last season when we had a, a lady that chose a number and i looked it up and it wasn't there yes <laughs> guess yes. what jordan did <laughs> what did he do he picked a number that wasn't there either oh, so um, uh, yes uh seven thousand eighty nine. i hate the fact that there's there was out there at one point yeah something got edited out chris yeah that's true we're missing we out get on to, wisdom we gotta talk to qu they're the ones that hold all that's the information on, on hyatt yeah. we gotta find these lost these lost educational tidbits well, we, there could be crucial information we it need to live our lives, Chris. It could be the golden grail. I mean, the holy grail. I mean, it could literally be the holy grail. It's the uh, true meaning of the Ellington Stone is within uh, Hyatt's. Oh. The government got to it and shut it down. Crazy. So, yeah, unfortunately, Jordan, I was going to use yours, but uh, it literally skipped out on six numbers between 7,089 and 7,095. So oh, They're out there. It's yes, like the truth. It's they X-Files, are out there. So, so, however, though, I did look at another number. Uh, that was coming from Sue Wardcraft, and it was uh, around this number, and um, it wasn't the greatest in the world, but I thought it was very unique because when I looked at her number and then I did a quick search for hobos in this book, yes, I found one. Oh, what you so, got? So the number I have, and actually I'm going to give you two here. So the number for the hobos is 10,620, and here's your little hobo hit. Uh, when a hobo hits a new town, he believes that he is turned down at the first place he goes to. His luck will be poor in that town. Okay? I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. So that that was your hobo. That's it. out of this whole book. That is your one hobo quote. Okay, I'll take it. I'm not picky. But we're going to turn to one more here. 
So we turn to Susan, I believe this is Anderson Gable. Okay, she chose 4,120, and this is what we got for her, uh, Travis, for uh, Susan's choice. You ready for this? I am ready. Sprinkle dirt from a newly dug grave over your wart, and it will leave. Words of wisdom from Adams County. (laughs) I mean, some of the hobos had to boil their clothes, probably could have used that information. (laughs) Yeah, so that is a look at the wisdom and wit from our forefathers and foremothers. If you didn't choose a number, by the way, you can still go on to the Facebook page and add your number to the list, and uh, we'll see if we can get around to it a little bit later. Hopefully, it's not a missing number. I'm telling you, there's something to this, Chris. It's like the Q files. we got to figure out what's gone, what happened to these missing numbers. Exactly. What true knowledge are we being robbed of? We need to be given access to the archives at Quincy University. I, you know, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna write email some stuff. I'm, we're gonna figure this out. Jim Lawrence, Jim Lawrence, if you're out there, we need you, buddy. Uh, help us Gotta out. Got to get to the bottom of this mystery. Speaking of mysteries, thanks for the segue. Ready for the question Always. of the day? Yes, right. I am ready. So here we go. In what year did the last public hanging take place in Quincy? Was it oh, 1897, man. 1907, 1927, or 1947? Travis, what are we going to start out with in this first episode of season four? What's your guess? I got to think it's before. What was the last one? 1947? Yep. I got to think it's before then. Okay. Um, even the 20s doesn't seem likely. What was this? Was it was 1907? Was that yeah, the 97, second? Yeah, 97, 07, 27. I, that maybe that stuff was still flying around in the early 1900s. I'm going to say 1907. Final answer? Yeah. Okay, you would be incorrect. What? <laughs> yeah. April 29th of 1927 was what? the last Ooh. public hanging in Quincy. Got any details on yes, that? Yes, I do. Uh, it was a new from news reports. A guy by the name of Thomas Twine had pled guilty to shooting and beating his girlfriend. Uh, to death on November 11th of the previous year, 1926. And this happened in their apartment at 833 Jersey. The witnesses and police reports stated that Twin Twine actually committed the deed, then went somewhere else, called the police station and said, I did it. Come and get me. Wow. So he was found guilty uh, by a jury and uh, he was hanged at 10 a.m. on April 29th of 1926. By the way, one year later, 1928, the last hanging in Illinois happened. So So that's kind of when the cutoff was, 1928. Yeah, Yeah, Hmm. obviously, uh, we always preface these talking about what's coming up in the next episode. We're not going to be talking about hangings, but we're going to be talking about another crime. And Travis, we're going to have a special guest for that episode. That's right. As of now, we're and hopefully it's locked in. We're going to see Mr. Rodney Hart, one of our favorite guests from season one, and he will be talking about the rash of uh, the, the wiped through Quincy. And boy, this was all the buzz on Facebook and social media. Nobody has a lot of real time information about this, but it was about the Mummy Man. Chris, did this ring any bells for you? Not at all. Apparently, the, he was a questionable character who may have been, you may have been a murderer or at least was stalking. Honestly, I don't know a lot of details other than the lore I've heard, but he would apparently uh, cover his face in maybe medical gauze or some kind of to disguise who he was, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. There's a lot we need to learn about this between now and when we talk to Rodney, but it's going to be a heck of a story. I think Rodney's got some great information that maybe hasn't seen a lot of the light of day, so... 
We'll see what he's got coming up in the next episode. Yeah, we get some some information, maybe uh, some stuff you if you've never heard about the story, you'll hear about it, or maybe if you heard about it, you're going to hear some new details that maybe you haven't heard. So we'll be excited to talk with Rodney coming up on our next crime episode right here on Wild Quincy Travis. Before we wrap things up, as always, are we missing anything? Just check out the, if you have any interest in hobos at all. And we just gave you a little taste. We got a whole lot more of a buffet of hobo mulligan stew coming up in the Patreon episode. So get your canned heat ready. Give us a little support and get access to a lot of hobo information. And you know what? More than anything, take care, everybody. Yeah, please do. Well, for Travis Hoffman, I am Chris Ketters. You've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.